Well, tonight we continue in a series that began in February and ends next week. We began in a place that made some sense, Genesis, asking the question, where did this all come from? Next week, we're going to end in a rightful place of how does it all end. And in between, we've been facing a whole variety of big questions that you asked. And when I looked over the series of questions at the beginning of the semester, I thought, wow, these are really great questions. But there were some I thought, oh, I think that'd be fairly easy. Others I thought, oh, boy. And when I saw the schedule come out about the oh boy, lo and behold, it was tonight. This question of who am I? And the reason I had this sort of oh boy feeling was nearly every conversation I have with many of you as you come into my office and want to talk about something, it almost always boils down to asking in some form, who am I? Why am I here? What is it that makes me me? And what makes it even more intimidating is from the very beginning of time, the greatest minds have been writing and thinking about this very question. And so books have been penned and songs have been written and plays have been performed trying to understand the essence of this question of of who am I? How am I going to begin to understand who I am? And so then all of a sudden I look at the schedule and there I am on week nine. I'm supposed to try to answer this question for all of you, which made me a little nervous. But then I was reminded again that we're going to turn here. We're going to turn to God's word and see where we can come up with with an answer to this question of who am I. And so I'd invite you to turn with me now to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians. Chapter 2, page 949 in the Bibles near you. And we're going to read 10 verses that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus many years ago. And I think they have a great significance as we try to ask and answer this question, who am I in Christ? I forget a lot. Paul writes, You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath, like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not the results of work so that no one may boast. For for we are what he has made us. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. This is the word of the Lord. I'm wondering if anyone here has ever done something really embarrassing that immediately after you had done it, you regretted deeply. I wonder if some of you perhaps were eating lunch at the cafeteria table when you started laughing so hard that nose came, or milk came out of your nose onto the table. Someone did. 
I wonder if any of you have ever been walking across the the snow-covered sidewalks here at Calvin only to fall and then to look around to see if anybody might have noticed. And then to your horror, somebody is there watching and snickering. I wonder if anyone here has participated in in a regional spelling bee to misspell the word root. Yeah. You can ask me about it later. Super embarrassing. But we all have these things in which we, we did them, we are horrified by the response. And then only to find out later that many of these things have been recorded. The technical age we live in. And so people could come not only to tell you one time, but then it's like, hey, remember that one time we're at the, we're at the cafeteria and that came out of your, that was hilarious. And each time you relive that, the horror the embarrassment. Well, I wonder if the Ephesians might have had a little bit of this sense as they began for the first time hearing the the words of chapter 2. Paul begins with these flattering words, you were dead. Could you imagine having this letter gathered there for the church in Ephesus and they are listening and all of a sudden they get to the point where it's being read and it says, you were dead. You were dead through the trespasses and sin in which you once lived. And there, everyone just sort of stops and hits this replay in their minds of all the horrible things that they had done. All the mistakes they had made, they begin playing. It's like, oh, Paul, don't, don't even bring this up. And then he goes on, following the course of this world, how they were... They could remember that they had been tossed about by the culture they lived in. They had been taken away by the current. They had just gone along with the crowd when it came to temple prostitution, when it came to worshiping idols, when they had got swept up in the the business world that they lived in, Ephesus being a cosmopolitan city, a center of the trade world. And they had all these things going on in their mind. Following the ruler of the power of the air, verse 3, in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath. I wonder if the church in Ephesus, that they gathered and they heard these words, they, they had this embarrassment, not sort of funny ha-ha embarrassment like we might have had just a moment ago, but this just sort of cover yourself up, oh my goodness, if, if people only knew who we had been. Oh, And then to think that here's Paul coming and telling us again about our sinfulness, about how we had been caught up by the world. We had done all the things that were anti, that were against, that demonstrated that we were for the world and against God. And now to be confronted with it, with these direct words, you were dead. It's not mincing words. It is Paul just telling it like it is. You were dead. The church in Ephesus had their identity sort of named for them. They were told by Paul who they had been. And as they, we hear from them how they answered that question of who am I? You were sinful. You were those who pursued the passions of this world. I wonder for some of us if we might be able to identify just a little bit. That if somebody came in front of this group and gathered you all together and said, you were dead. What if there was a record of all the horrible, despicable things that you had done? Where had you rooted your identity? The things that had defined you the way that you used to be. You see, for some of us, when we think about this identity, about who we are, we can't get past the person we've been. 
For some of us, it's not the things we've done, it's the things that have been done to us. And so I have students that come into my office on a fairly regular basis who have abuse in their past. And they're absolutely convinced that they will always be known as the person who was abused. That they'll never be able to move on and succeed in all the areas that they'd hoped because the most defining part of their life is always going to be what happened to them. No, that no one knows, but that they carry with them like a heavy burden every single day. And so they carry that shame, and they think that shame is going to be the marker in their life. That's how they answer that question, who am I? I was the one who was abused. But for some, it's not this uh, shame. It's really about guilt. It's not about things that happened to us. It's about things that we've done. And so we come and we think of the things that we've done in our past, and we thought, oh my goodness, if there was video coverage of all of these things that I have done, and perhaps for some of us am still currently doing, we shudder. And we think that those things define us. And so I meet with students on a fairly regular basis who are caught in the trap of pornography. And they see that. So each interaction they have with another person, there's a part of them that wonders, do they know? Do they know? Do they know that what I've seen? Do they know the kind of person that I am? And so every interaction they have, every time they think about who am I, they think, I'm the person who looks at porn. And any attempt to, to think about themselves differently beyond that one vice is completely impossible. You know, for some of us, it's not shame or guilt. For some of us, we find our identity in terms of who we project ourselves really by our performance, right? We live in a performance-based society, many of us. And so we think about it in terms of our academic success, which, hey, you're in a place of higher learning, you're all taking classes, you're here to get degrees, and so it's fairly easy to sort of swell up with pride as you walk across the CFAC stage, as some of you did just a week or so ago for the honors convocation, and have people there publicly applauding your success in the classroom. And so this sense of identity gets wrapped up in how well you do in one particular area. And for those of you who think, oh, academics not my thing, I wonder if perhaps it's uh, your involvement with the musical group or your participation in the theater. And all of a sudden, the applause that comes after a great performance is the thing that feeds your soul like nothing else. Perhaps it's not that for you. And then I would think, well, what about athletic participation, sports? That was, that was my identity when I was a student here played on the basketball team, and there was nothing that filled my tank, nothing that gave me more pride and joy than to have someone come up and say, aren't you, aren't you Aaron Winkle? Don't you play basketball here? And to then with false humility say, well, yes, yes, that's true. <laughs> and so we ha all have these things, many of them performance-based, of where we seek our identity. And if you want to know, well, I wonder what it is for me. I wonder where I get my primary identity from? How do I be, answer this question, who am I? W what is it that you most want other people to know about you, if this is performance-based, that you want to be humble, but at the same time you'd love that they know just how good your grades are, or when you're going to be starring in an, a, another performance? What is it that you most want them to know? Or if it's perhaps on this guilt and shame, what is the one thing that if somebody found out about you, that you think your life would end? that you just couldn't imagine those in your life who you care about finding out that you 
fill in the blank. And I'm guessing if you spend just a moment thinking about what is the thing that you would not, wouldn't want anyone to ever find out or what is the thing that you desperately want people to know but you don't want to have to tell them, that you might have a, a start at answering this question. Where do I find this, my sense of identity? How do I want other people to know me? We've all been there. We all ask this question. Each person who has breathed and lived on this earth from the beginning of time has attempted to answer this question, who am I? And so I would stand here and shudder if I had to come up here and give you my best guess, but I don't. We get to go back to this book and find out where does, where does God begin to answer this question? How does he address this question of who am I? And for that, I'd like you to turn back into your Bibles to page 950 at the beginning of verse 4. Two of the most important words of all of Scripture. But God. But God. You see, I just a minute ago talked to you about who Paul described the Ephesians for. You were dead, he says. You were following the passions of this world. You were following your own passions. You were swept away by the things that were happening around you. That's who you were. Past tense. But then he gets to verse 4. And he says, but God. And the whole story shifts on but God. He goes on, but God who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with, with which he loved us, even when we were dead. Notice the ordering. Even when we were dead in our sin, before we had turned it around, God, who is rich in mercy, out of his love for us, acted on our behalves. And he made us alive together with Christ. Notice these prepositions. With Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of the grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And then skipping down to 10. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus. This phrase, in Christ Jesus, shows up more than 50 times in the New Testament. In Christ Jesus. If you read through the book of Ephesians and you're alert to it, you'll just see it showing up. Paul's writing, Ephesians, Philippians, Romans, it just keeps showing up. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. What Paul is saying, what God is saying through Paul, is that our true identity can only be found, we can only begin to answer this question of who am I when we add these two final words of in Christ. You see, if you want to try to answer who am I, you can do it any which way you want. And our world has lots of examples and many of us have tried them. But when we finish the question of who am I within Christ, all of a sudden we've given it a context. We've begun, we've really answered the question by asking the question. When we acknowledge that it's in Christ, then we can begin to see, well, what does it mean to be one whose identity is in Christ? Well, what it means is that uh, our past don't count us against us. Because we read there that says that while we were still sinners, while we were still far from God, who is rich in mercy, he loved us and he reached out toward us. So you see, this new identity if, impacts our past. 
It's no longer counted against us because of what Christ has done for us. But it not only impacts our past, it impacts our presence. It impacts today. There is relevance for how we live now. And so if you look at verse 10, it says, For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. You see, when God rescued us through Christ Jesus, he said, it's not only what I'm saving you from, those sins, those horrible things that you've done in your past, I'm not only saving you from something, I'm saving you for something. And I'm saving you for this new life. The verse was read earlier from 1 Corinthians of when you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You're a new person. And so we live by a different set of criteria and values. We have a different purpose, purpose all of a sudden. But it not only impacts our past, it not only impacts our present, it impacts our future. It says in verse 6, Seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Once we take on Christ, once we are in Christ, it impacts how we live now, but it's also going to impact the way we live for eternity. We are practicing here this new life. And it changes everything about us. But then I think the follow-up question I hope you might be asking, so, so how do we do that? What does that actually look like? And for that, we need to go to Romans. Romans chapter 6, if you want to flip with me. Page 917. It's one thing to be told that if we live in Christ Jesus, that that shapes our identity. That answers the question of who am I? But then how do we get that? What does that look like? How would I know? Paul writes to the church in Rome. He says at verse 1 of chapter 6, What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin? In sin versus in Christ? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? And Paul says, well, of course not. By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So if you were baptized into Christ Jesus, you were baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So if you've been baptized, baptism becomes a sign of this conversion that takes place. It's really a shorthand here by Paul to say, listen, if you've had this conversion experience and you were going one way, but now you're going another way, which we, we use the sign of baptism to indicate this, this new orientation, well, then you're baptized into his death. I don't know if anybody has seen the old baptismal fonts from the early church, but when you were, they were actually in the form of a cross and you would walk down into these tubs and so you would walk down into the grave, which was, which was filled with water, and then you would walk back out. And it was to symbolize that in our baptisms, we were going down into the grave so that we could be resurrected as we came out of the water on the other side. So when you want to ask this question of who am I in Christ, you begin by saying, I'm I'm baptized. And through our baptism, it's no longer God who sees us. God only sees us through Christ and through the seal and sign of the covenant of baptism. And so the, the water, which on most of us has dried long, long ago, 
is still a clear sign to God that we're marked. And when God sees us, he doesn't see us as those who were dead in our transgressions. But instead, he sees us as those who are alive, who have a new identity, who claim Christ. And when you're asked, who are you? Your first thought isn't thinking, oh gosh, I hope that person doesn't know anything about this part of my life. Or your first thought isn't, oh, I just can't wait to tell them all the great things that I've done, all the accomplishments that I have. But the first thing that we'd want someone else to know about us is that I am been baptized into Christ's death, and therefore I have been baptized into Christ's life. And so I'm this new creation. Someone whose past is no longer held against him. Someone whose present is shaped on a day-to-day basis as we become more like Christ through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And one who is being prepared for the life to come. When the new heavens and the new earth will come together and the things that have plagued us in the past will be left behind and we will be gloriously united with Christ. That's where our identity lies. In Christ. In his baptism And our baptism, which unites us with his death and his resurrection, promising our own death, but also our own resurrection. So that's the first part of the question of who am I in Christ? But that followed up the phrase was, I forget a lot. I don't know about you, but I can go to bed many nights absolutely certain of a good number of things. And yet then wake up the following morning and have forgotten nearly all of them. And so I live into these new days where I've gone to bed the night before knowing absolutely sure that my identity is secure in Christ. That I have been bought with a price, I belong to him, and therefore the things that Satan would want to hold against me and to, to live inside of me and torment me, those things are gone. And yet I can wake up the next morning and have those same old things climbing out of the closet, trying to remind me of the person who I used to be, saying, you are dead. And so I don't know about you, I need lots of reminders. I need to be reminded frequently about what Christ has done on my behalf and this new identity that I have in Christ Jesus. And so I was thinking about, well, I I wonder if there's any sort of parallels that we have of, of significant events that have happened in our past that we maybe don't remember or weren't really present for, and, uh, and yet that have really profound significance that we remember in some significant way that helps remind us about who we are. And I thought about birthdays. Who, who's had a, who, who, has, who has, has a birthday here? Anyone? I mean, ever. Like, you, you ever had a birthday? Was any, were any of you born? Let me phrase it another way. Oh, so many people. Oh, very good. Does anybody have their birthday today? Anyone? Tomorrow? This week, this year, (laughs) this week. Does anybody have their birthday this week? Last week. Over here. Oh, great, great. Victoria, you got to come up here. You got to come up here. (laughs) I know you would have signed up much sooner if you'd known you got to come up. Come on up, come up here. Come up here. Okay. Yeah, come on, come on, Victoria. I had no idea. So when was your birthday? Tuesday. Tuesday. And you turned how old? 20. 20. Did you celebrate? Yes. Did your family, you know, did you, did you get like 500 Facebook messages wishing you a happy birthday? Yes. Were they all sincere? No. You don't know. Don't. We never do know, do we? I mean, those Facebook messages, what do you do with those? <laughs> but you, did you celebrate? Yes. 
Did anyone sing you happy birthday? No one sang this young lady happy birthday. We can't compete with the singer. This is what we're going to do. This is perfect. All right. Friends, we are going to sing this young lady happy birthday. Come on. Do, do you remember the day you were born? Yeah. You do. Oh, no. <laughs> we have to talk. Do you remember it? No. No, you don't. But how do you know what happened? Because I'm here. Because you're here. <laughs> and how do you keep being reminded of your birthday? Did you celebrate it every year? Yeah. Was that, that how, how you remember how important it was? Yeah. Family's loving on you? Yeah. Well, in just a minute, we're going to move to this table. And it is one of the ways in which we remember our identity in Christ. But before we do that, this young lady deserves to have the best rendition of happy birthday that we've got. So would you join me singing happy birthday to Victoria? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Victoria. Happy birthday to This is yours. I'm going to set it right over here. You can get plates and forks, and you're going to have lots of friends real soon. I hope you will remember this birthday. I will. I will. You see, we have these significant events, like birthdays, that, that shape us and remind us of who we are and who cares about us. And we, they do send us Facebook messages and they call us and they get, send us gifts. And it reminds us every year, some of us celebrate our half birthdays twice a year, <laughs> of a really significant event. Well, that's, that's what this table is. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took these elements and said, take, eat, remember, and believe. Take, eat, remember. For those of us who intellectually know where identity lies but need reminders, need to come to this table frequently. We need to come to this table frequently because the elements remind us of a day long past that still has profound significance for how we live today. And like a birthday can be for each individual, this, this meal is for the body of Christ, a communal event in which we look to the past, to a significant event in which Christ died on our behalf that allows our identity to be secure in Christ Jesus. And so tonight, it's so fitting that we get to come here on a night when we talk about identity and have that identity secured, to be reminded of how secure it is in Christ Jesus, that we are no longer defined by those we were, that we were dead, but we are now alive. And so we come to this table, and we hear, once again, Jesus' words where on the night that he gathered with his disciples, he took bread and he said, this body... This bread represents my body and was given for you. 
Take and eat it and remember what I've done on your behalf. And then in the same way, after supper, he took a cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Take it. Remember. Believe that my body and my blood were given for the complete forgiveness of all of your sins. It is at this table with these elements that we remind ourselves that our identity is secure in Christ. Will you please join me in prayer? With joy we praise you, gracious God, for you created heaven and earth, made us in your image and kept covenant with us, even when we fell into sin. We give you thanks for Jesus Christ, our Lord, through his victory over the grave. We are set free from the bonds of sin and the fear of death to share the glorious freedom of the children of God. In his rising to life, you promise eternal life to all who believe in him. We praise you that as we break bread in faith, we shall know the risen Christ among us. Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Christ. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, that we may be with all who share this feast. And now please join me as we recite the words of the Apostles' Creed together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. In just a moment, you're going to be invited to come forward and to receive the elements of the the bread and the juice from the elders of Oakdale Park and from others here. There'll be ushers who will help uh, direct you there. Many of you know this by now, but what we'll ask you to do is take a a large piece of the bread and to take it and then to dip it in the cup. And as you do so, you'll receive uh, words from the elders gathered here. Uh, If anybody needs gluten-free bread, I'll have that right up here. Come and find me. Uh, If you are a communicant member in your local congregation, you are welcome here, which all that means is if you take communion back home, you're welcome to do so here. If you uh, aren't a communicant member and you'd like to come forward, we'd like to encourage you to come forward to receive a blessing. Just cross your arms as you do, and you will hear the words, uh, your identity is secure in Christ, and then you can go back to your seat. But we'd like to offer those words and invite you forward for that. I think that uh, covers the instructions. With that, hear these words. Friends, the Lord has prepared his table for all who love him and trust in him alone for their salvation. All who are truly sorry for their sins, who sincerely believe in the Lord Jesus as their Savior, and who desire to live in obedience to him as Lord, are now invited to come with gladness to the table of the Lord. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come.